I'm Christian Chiller. Welcome to my podcast, an enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Welcome to another Chinchilla Squeaks, and I am back after a little bit of a break because last week was spent doing a lot of coverage at the IBC show, and actually I'm going to be releasing a uh, special video of that on my YouTube channel pretty quickly after this episode, actually. I have an interview with Dotan Horowitz of Logs coming up, and that was a great interview where we talked about what Logs do and also uh, open telemetry in general. First, I have an apology. Of course, I sat down to do a bunch of recording, finally getting back to the studio, and it's the day that someone decided to start drilling in a room down the hallway. So hopefully that doesn't add too much noise. These things are sent to testers and to test noise reduction software. So hopefully that is doing its job. Before we get to that interview, I do have a few small links I wanted to cover. So let's jump right into those. Firstly, something from Stephen Zechik on the Washington Post. I quite liked this. We're in the week where Ethereum have announced their merge finally, and I sort of had some very minor involvement with it years ago, and it's good to see it's finally done. Uh, or finally, I guess, in progress and then will be done soon. And that will make quite big changes. But this is actually an article looking at maybe a different side of the whole crypto blockchain space. And the title says it all. Crypto's massive marketing efforts have drawn few new investors. Talking about how over the past sort of past year, Various very large players in the space like Coinbase, Crypto.com have spent millions, millions of dollars on marketing to try and get people to invest, to take part, to get involved, etc., etc. And the evidence really shows that it's had extremely minimal impact on, I guess, what people like to call your mum and pop investors or your general investor. I think uh, mostly just people who were already interested and invested in, in conceptually and mechanically, still are, and those that weren't, aren't. It didn't really change very much. Why, I guess, would be the thing to ask. No one seems to really have an answer. Actually, in typical crypto optimism, uh, the response was, oh, well, when the major institutions roll out the various support features they have planned, then will come the adoption. And this is sort of where I personally got a little bit fed up with crypto myself, is that it it seems to always be the answer is, oh, it's still new. Give it time. Give it time. Give it time. Give it time. But I really wonder when do we stop giving it time and just say, maybe this is a minority technology or et cetera, or maybe it's not useful to, to, to the vast majority of people and the vast majority of use cases that a lot of these enthusiasts hoped. And I guess that remains to be seen. I don't know if I want to be proved wrong or not. (laughs) I still have a sort of vague enthusiasm for the technology, but I don't like a lot of the realization of it. So we will see, I suppose. But it's an interesting kind of look back on whether all these efforts were actually worth it. And so far, it seems like they weren't. Next is an article from MIT Technology Review that actually got quite widely reported. This was by Melissa Heikile. There's an umlaut over that last day. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. 
And um, it is called, What Does GPT-3 Know About Me? I'm in this, uh, she, and she's a Finnish journalist. This is kind of important, actually, for the, for the, the article. She used GPT-3 to ask it questions about herself, and it got some basic things correct. But then the further she went down the rabbit hole, it got a lot of things incorrect and started mixing her up with other people, et cetera, et cetera. She then tried it with someone more famous, the now editor of MIT Technology Review, Matt Honan, and it came back with a lot more response. I mean, he is American. He writes exclusively in English. He is much more public. He's been around a lot longer. And I think uh, certain parts of America have less uh, privacy laws than Europe, so maybe there's just more information out there. But she still found, whilst it picked up some fairly salient pieces of information and some maybe concerning personal details. It depends how public Matt is about them, I guess. It still got a lot of things wrong, um, especially actually not even about his personal life, about his career. Uh, There was the famous uh, hack article he, he had a while back and it got aspects of that wrong. One could argue that maybe that's because it's an old piece of content. Who knows? Um, so I think, and this seems to be the general trend with a lot of these, uh, GPT three based assistants, they are good to a point, but I guess, again, time will tell whether they get beyond that point, but in the meantime, they remain what I hope they remain in some respects, very able assistants that us humans can still use to create and flesh out and begin our work, but that we still really are the far superior creators for the most part, <laughs> he says with great trepidation in his voice. On the subject of looking into the future and kind of futurism and, and, and scientific thought around topics like this, this was something I found quite interesting on currentaffairs.org from Dashana Narayanan about uh, the title again, says it all, The Dangerous Populist Science of Yuval Noah Harari. This is the author of a couple of quite famous books, Sapiens and, uh, and some others as well. And um, I must admit, I enjoyed reading at least his first two books. I think I found the most recent one to not be so compelling and discussing how the power of a good storyteller can make you believe things that are not necessarily lies, but not completely true, I think is the argument here. Um, by using very good storytelling and a smattering of fact, the criticism of his work is that he makes it sound true because it's so compelling. And he uses techniques, I don't know whether consciously or subconsciously, to to make you think that as a fact. And there's a few examples in this article where the author pulls upon opposing facts to show that they're not true. The the interesting thing that I started reading on this, and, and I, I think it's a valid article, I don't want to criticize it in that way, um, that I think the interesting discussion here and always is in this sort of field of, is the author of this article doing the same thing? Um, and that's a good point to make. Are they doing the same thing? Are they using compelling kind of negative storytelling as opposed to his positive storytelling? to give their uh, opinion on the facts or their interpretation of the facts. And I don't know if this article 
had uh, comments that dug deep into that, but that's actually, I'm just double checking. It doesn't look like it, but I found that quite an interesting thought of, you know, this always makes me think of elements of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where you have deep thought who proposes that these philosophers can make a living for life out of theorizing over what uh, deep thoughts answer to the ultimate question will be. Uh, I don't know if that's a good comparison, but it makes me think of it in that, you know, anyone who's convincing enough can make their argument seem true. So whose argument should you believe? Well, the real answer, of course, is that you should get multiple opinions and facts and inputs on the same topic and make your own mind up. But we all know that's really not what happens. And I think this is perhaps the actual crux of this article in saying that it's dangerous to pick up books like this that have been very, very popular. And him as an author has been very, very popular and has the uh, ears of a lot of powerful people around the world and take them as written. And maybe that is the actual problem. Going to a complete tangent here to something very, very different. This is on um, Seattle Met, a strange source of content written by Benjamin Cassidy, The Twisted Life of Clippy. I always have a little bit of a soft spot for Clippy. I had a Clippy sticker given to me by a Microsoft engineer a couple of years ago that I need to actually reclaim off my old laptop, actually. Um, but, you know, he's a much he, I don't know, it. I don't know why I want to say he. It is a much maligned character. And this article actually goes into how it how it was created, who created it, how the people who did create it tried to hide the fact they had created it because it was so maligned for many years. And now I suppose that time is largely over and it's kind of more amusing than um, than embarrassing. Those people are kind of reclaiming the fact that they were involved in the process. Uh, and just how it seems with the benefit of hindsight, how how ridiculous the marketing and the production around Clippy was and how you could think that anyone thought this was a good idea at the time and some of the crazy things it suggested, et cetera, et cetera. But there you go. These things happen, especially in the past, especially when we were more naive with uh, with computer use. So if that interests you, go and take a read. Before we get stuck into my interview, I wanted to have another quick chat with you about Magic Mind, the the the, the drink, the, the shot, whatever you want to call it, that I have been trying and I mentioned last episode. I've kind of come to the end of the course now. Uh, actually, I'm going to do a video diary. I, it's, it's mostly recorded, of course, because it was a diary. I just need to add a bit more detail in my wrap up. But I found it uh, very useful for helping me focus on getting a lot of things done. And I've had a lot of things I've needed to get done and the sort of energy and focus I've needed for getting those done over the past few weeks. And I'm kind of a little bit sad I've run out, <laughs> actually. Um, I also found that my sleep vastly improved. I've been having a lot of sleeping issues and my sleep has been much better so I sort of had that, I think I described it as a distributed energy throughout the day that I found quite useful. And then I was much more relaxed when it got to the end of the day. And I haven't really had those sleepless nights I used to experience a lot of. There's a lot of things in it and I go into a bit more detail of them in the, the diary actually. Um, but I think the the one that I wanted to mention in particular is similar to the, the ones I mentioned last time, but the Bacopia Moniera. It's a nootropic. The, the, the shot is full of these. 
which um, helped a lot with focus, but in this kind of balanced and less hyper-inducing method of caffeine, I guess. Um, and I think especially when I was at the IBC show and doing a lot of physical activity, it really helped me keep that energy for quite a few days. I used to find at events I would crash after the first day after so much kind of contact with people. And that actually, I will admit, I, I did not really experience that this time. I didn't really crash until I got back, which was days later, probably more of a come down than a, than a physical or mental energy. Now, it worked quite well for me. As I say, I'm quite sad that I'm now out in some respects. But if you're interested in, in trying it yourself, I have some discount codes for you. For the next 10 days after this recording or this episode, you can get 40% off of a subscription at magicmind.co slash chinchilla. That's C-H-I-N-C-H-I-L-L-A. Or for a more permanent kind of one-off 20% discount, you can use the discount code at checkout chinchilla20, spelt the same way. And I hope you have the same positive experiences I had. And now my interview with Dotan Horowitz from logs.io. Enjoy. Yeah, certainly. So uh, first of all, thanks for uh, having me in your uh, podcast. Uh, pleasure being here. Uh, my name is uh, Dotan Horowitz, and I'm the uh, principal developer advocate at uh, logs.io. Um, I've been... Uh, Around, started off as a developer and then uh, did the solution architect, uh, consultancy, then the product management. So quite a, an interesting uh, <laughs> roller coaster in my career, leading me up to uh, the latest position as a as a developer advocate and technology evangelist. Um, and as for Logs.io, uh, started off uh, many years ago, probably the time that you met our founder. Uh, from a log analytics side, uh, primarily uh, utilizing the best of breed uh, open source uh, project at the time, the Elk Stack, Elasticsearch, mm -hmm. uh, Kibana, uh, for log analytics and offering that as a uh, managed service. Um, and since then, we've grown to a portfolio of uh, products uh, in the observability space. So mm -hmm. now we provide a whole a suite uh, of uh, uh, services and uh, products in observability, but all of whom are uh, are part of the same philosophy of taking the best of breed open stack, uh, open source stack out there, and uh, and providing that as managed services, and then augmenting the open source uh, uh, projects with additional services, additional capabilities, and correlation between them, so that you have one holistic uh, uh, observability platform for cloud natives. Yeah. Um, so the name is possibly slightly misleading these days, but, uh, you know. So. <laughs> that, that, that's for sure, yeah. <laughs> so to dig in, um, it looks like the three, or I guess uh, five effectively, um, open source product projects that you build upon are uh, Elk still, so I have to remember this, Elasticsearch, Logstash, Kibana, um, yeah. but then also more recently, I suppose, Prometheus and Jaeger. Um so kind of, I guess, um, I don't really want to use this phrase, but it's the best I can think of right now, kind of traditional <laughs> observability tools, shall we say? They weren't called that then. but And then some of the kind of more modern generation of them. Would that be a fair summary? Or? Um, 
I'm not sure that uh, traditional would be the right no, name no, for enough. the Elk stack. I think that it's uh, pretty vastly used, uh, although it's no longer open source. Maybe you can talk about that later, but uh, it's still very, very uh, popular. So, and yeah. I, I think it's well, well, uh, uh, well uh, adapted to the to the newer systems. So, definitely uh, still relevant. Uh, but uh, definitely at, at any point uh, of time, we kept evaluating, for example, with our uh, uh, infrastructure monitoring mm-hmm. product, we did start off with uh, exploring, utilizing uh, the Elk stack, uh, Elasticsearch for uh, uh, metric data, time series data as well, and seeing the trend in the market then shifting towards uh, Prometheus mm-hmm. as the de facto standard. Then we uh, adapted and we provided the a new release of that product that is based on uh, Prometheus. So definitely mm-hmm. we follow the trends as the, as, the, as the community leads to other open source uh, uh, trends. For example, as open t- uh, telemetry yep. has risen, we've shifted from other types of uh, 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 shippers and, and uh, in, uh, telemetry collectors to open telemetry. So definitely the idea is at any given time to provide the support for the best of breed uh, at present for the modern. Yeah. Let's come to open telemetry later. We're definitely going to cover that. I know it's something you're quite. I actually watched your talk at um, KubeCon in Valencia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was, yeah, it was um, fascinating. Yeah. Um, so, is is are all these offerings that you you build on top of are they unified in some way? Are they still somewhat separated from each other, or do you kind of merge all of these into one cohesive environment that people can use to get all the benefits of each each open source project, but with some sort of glue to bring a bit more magic to them? The question is is very valid because out there, each and every one of these open source projects is a project in its own, uh, let's say, silo or is independent. For example, if you take Prometheus that I mentioned and uh, Jaeger. Jaeger Tracing, which is the uh, distributed tracing uh, mm-hmm. open source project, uh, they are um, largely independent. Although, by the way, both of which are uh, under the umbrella of the CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing mm-hmm. Foundation. And if you take uh, Elasticsearch, for instance, or OpenSearch, they are entire, not even under the CNCF. So um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, things that we found is that these tools are very powerful and they're very popular and people choose them. But then again, many people struggle uh, uh, then correlating between them and getting this unified observability across the tools, across the silos, across the, um, uh, I guess, the uh, these, these barriers. And this is part of the benefit that we've set out to, to uh, resolve, to actually bring them together. We can do that only uh, so much, obviously, because we do keep the open source yep. as the basis. Uh, but uh, we add a lot, for example, a, a one click on a, on a trace to take you to the, all the logs that correspond <laughs> to that uh, trace ID is something that you would need to work very hard to do uh, the equivalent uh, in two independent tools. Or if you're on a metric and you want to see an, an exemplar uh, trace for that metric, instead of starting copy-pasting the time frame and, the, uh, and, and other uh, search parameters or things like that, Again, you, you can take that or between uh, the, the metrics and the, the log. So you get all the context, the search context. Imagine the incident investigation flow, the typical one. Mm-hmm. So you keep on refining and refining the time frame and the search parameters and fields and, and maybe open free text searches. And then you want to, sh- to take all of that and start the, the equivalent in, um, let's say you started off with the metrics in, in Prometheus, then you move the, to Kibana. Copy-paste is not the ideal way. So definitely things such as that, uh, correlating alerts, 
uh, and, and other things. Definitely okay. part of our mission statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in addition to that uh, unified kind of ability to, yeah, to, to leverage all these, these projects together, what else did you add on top? So I think that one of the things that uh, open source uh, projects tend to do, they tend to focus on a very clear, very focused uh, um, um, problem, uh, engineering problem typically, and do it very well. But then a lot of peripheral, so to speak, uh, considerations are left uh, unattended. It could be, uh, for example, aspects of uh, uh, security related. Uh, it could be aspects of uh, compliance. Uh, it could be aspects of uh, collaboration, team collaboration. I want to send my uh, my uh, snapshot of my dashboard to a colleague for him to comment or for her to comment. Uh, how do I do that? Uh, so all of these aspects, I, I call them the, uh, the, the sort of the enterprise grade, the production readiness aspects uh, beyond the core functionality. These are the so sorts of things that usually are, are not fully attended, uh, if any, by the open source project. So this is one layer. Another layer is an aspect of the, um, uh, the data management. So uh, it costs quite a bit of money <laughs> to, uh, to store all these, uh, let's say, the, the log ingestion. And uh, usually that's, uh, this the cost becomes a barrier and, and people need to start doing compromises on their observability to accommodate costs. So part of what we offer is the ability to manage this, to drop, mm. uh, for example, uh, logs that are not interesting, to filter yeah. them out, yeah. or maybe yeah. to archive them, and then to uh, to restore them only when you need them. So you don't need to pay to hold them in a, in, a, in a cluster, live cluster, hot cluster, but rather in a cold storage. So all sorts of, of uh, cost management aspects of uh, filtering and, and uh, uh, sampling and similar capabilities around that. Maybe the last point that I could add is around the AI and machine learning. So the ability to help beyond the, the capabilities that typically come from manually uh, uh, traversing things on the dashboard is to fla flush uh, out things that uh, appear to be anomalous, for example. So yep. uh, capabilities around the, these these. Also. I'd like to dig into a little bit more of what you do. Um, because you did quite a lot in this uh, in this ecosystem, this space. So, where did you come from before logs? What, were you working in a similarish uh, product or company, or something very different? And you just like to learn very quickly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I've, I've, I've had a very interesting journey, uh, but I guess I mentioned that I started from hands-on development for many years, yeah. uh, primarily backend, uh, so uh, distributed uh, systems and. Uh, okay. Uh, things such as that. Then I, I moved into product management uh, where I still focused on developer tools and developer platforms mm -hmm. like uh, cloud orchestration, cloud management, things like that. So I, I always kept my passion for the technology, for the developer and DevOps persona and things like that. And uh, and then that led me, uh, and I, I started doing also on the other aspect, open source things, for example, at uh, a startup called Cloudify that does cloud orchestration. Uh, I've done a lot of things around uh, um, uh, open OpenStack. I don't know if may, all our listeners are familiar, but back oh. then it was the hottest thing. Uh, I'm almost uh, certain I've had someone from OpenStack on the podcast at some point. Great. So we have a reference also to another episode here, which is great. Uh, so uh, and then setting up the OpenStack, helping setting up the OpenStack Israel community. So I started mm -hmm. getting involved in in. Uh, 
in uh, writing and in, in communities and in uh, advocating for uh, projects and communities and things such as that. So I guess the combination of the technology domain and the um, and the passion for open source and communities has led me to, uh, I guess, to the current role yep. that is both developer advocacy on the one hand, and on the other hand, as I said, it's based on open source. That's what I like about mm. uh, logs.io, that it's based on open source projects that I truly believe are the go-to path for uh, for observability and for DevOps in general. Yeah, let's, let's go down this open path now for a little bit. So firstly, on I think on the smaller part of the conversation, maybe... Uh, I see that in addition to integrating, and I would hope contributing back to the open source projects that you use for business, you have a couple of other small projects I can see as well. Um, a lot of sort of integration tools with with Elk, with um, your um, collector kind of NPM packages and things like that. But also I can see an interesting one here, Apollo. A CD tool for deploying on Kubernetes. What is that? I've not heard of that. And there's a lot of CD tools. So is that just one you use in-house that you decided, oh, it actually looks like it's been archived. So maybe you yeah, should talk it's, about uh, it's, it's no longer open source uh, because, as you said, back then in the day, it was very attractive for managing Kubernetes. Yeah. Today, we have uh, many other uh, open source uh, tools that uh, do that better than what we could develop well, in-house. Let's ignore so, that one. Then. Less, but definitely, I would say one thing that you did see very rightly on, on, on our public GitHub repo is that and we have lots of repos for essentially yeah. anything that we help our users. For example, you need to fetch uh, using uh, Telegraph or uh, yeah. uh, Fluent Beat or Fluent D uh, from your Lambda or from your uh, thing. We'll give you uh, some uh, the pre-configuration, maybe a, a, a Docker image or something like that. You can take it, by the way. You can use it for, for yeah. your needs. You can adapt it. It's open source. Uh, but it's, it's just utility tools that we provide to make the lives easier for our users. That's on the integration uh, bits that you mentioned, but we have many others. I'm actually now in the final stages of writing a blog post uh, about a new open source that we're going to release that essentially helps uh, people convert. When people move from InfluxDB to uh, Prom, uh, Prometheus, mm -hmm. which is uh, quite uh, something that we see quite often among our customers at least, uh, and they work with Grafana. Grafana is a, a very popular open source for the visualization for the front end. So they say, okay, uh, uh, Grafana knows how to work with a Prometheus data source and also from InfluxDB data source. So I want to keep my own, all, all of my dashboards and just migrate the, yeah. uh, the dashboards from one to the other. Sounds simple, but trust me, it's hardly simple because of the different uh, naming conventions, because of the different query language, PromQL versus InfluxQL and many other aspects. So what we wrote is an open source tool that actually is already there on, on GitHub. I'm mm -hmm. now going to write something to, to expose it a bit more that takes uh, the export of the, of the dashboard uh, based on InfluxQL and as a JSON format. It does the manipulation, the transformation, and at the output, you get a new JSON that is the equivalent dashboard in a PromQL format. So okay. including uh, uh, transforming metric convention names, so it's not just the one-to-one. Uh, uh, -one. It's very uh, elaborate in case uh, naming convention changes on the metrics and many other aspects. So it's a, re a really cool uh, open source tool that we're going to release to the wider community. It can yeah. be used, obviously, as the, the export side could be Logs.io, but could, could be yep. your local uh, instance. It could be yep. any uh, Grafana repo, uh, supported repo and API. So uh, these sorts of things are definitely uh, things that we do around the open source, both our own tools and also contributing to others, uh, like contributing to mm -hmm. open telemetry and, and, uh, and Jaeger and others. 
Cool. Okay. And then, then the other open aspect of, of definitely with you, and we'll, we'll explain what open telemetry is and then maybe what you, what's your involvement with it? Because what is open telemetry? Uh, I think it's it, it, people who are a little bit inside this ecosystem, which um, I, I'm not entirely sure how I've mentioned, how many, many times I've mentioned it on the podcast, I am myself. So we're kind of talking about things we both know about, but I don't know if it really makes it out into the wider tech space that much. So what is <laughs> open telemetry? <laughs> uh, you're right. And by the way, uh, I, I invite all of your listeners that are podcast fans, apparently, to also uh, chime in on my podcast, <laughs> yes, which, yes, is, yes, yes. Uh, which is uh, uh, squarely about uh, uh, open source-based uh, observability. So it's called Open Observability Talks. Uh, as the name suggests. So, and then I elaborate on many uh, projects, including open telemetry there. But in a nutshell, in a nutshell, open telemetry is a unified framework for generating uh, telemetry data, logs, metrics, traces, and collecting them uh, in a unified manner across, uh, as I said, logs, metrics, and traces. Uh, and then uh, exports them to whichever backend. So it's, it doesn't have any stake in the backend. It supports uh, formats for all the popular backends. Uh, so it's just for the generation and, and collection side. Okay. And, and this is important because if, we, if people haven't picked up on it already, there's been lots of kind of disparate sources of information um, over the years and in theory, and we always know the 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 uh, stereotypes and the XKCD comic about standards, but in theory, <laughs> it's one standard to rule them all. <laughs> but whether it will be is is kind of yeah, we'll see, I suppose. But and and I think that leads nicely into. I often feel like almost every time I read something about the current status of open telemetry, it's been written by you. Um, or spoken about by you. <laughs> so, what what is your interest and involvement in the project? Are you an active contributor, or are you just super passionate about it? I want to talk about it a lot. Like, what's your involvement? So, first of all, I am very passionate about it. That's that's a very good starting point, and I'm uh, first and foremost uh, an evangelist of this project internally within my company to uh, align. We started off from just taking whichever open source was there's a log shipper, metric shipper, whatever, you know, you use, uh, as I said, FluentD or StatsD or uh, or a FluentBit or MetricBit or whatever. We just said, okay, we'll help you do that. But it became uh, impossible to manage for, for our users. We, we can handle everything, but the users need simplicity. They need, they need the unification. And time architectures have become more uh, complex in that regard because you have so many uh, data sources any typical architecture these days have so many third parties involved so think about your uh, uh, sql database and your nosql database and think about your api gateway and your uh, you know kafka iq or maybe uh, you know, cloud services equivalents for these. So whether open source or, or closed source or cloud services, you need to collect from so many different sources, many of whom you're not, you don't control, they're not yours. Um, however, you need to still manage them and you need to monitor them and, and you are the ultimate responsibility for the end-to-end -end res result. Um, so 
needing to uh, to keep uh, up to speed with all this vast and growing ecosystem of third parties, in addition to the growing uh, evolution of the programming languages themselves and their compilers and runtime environments and so on, has become uh, just uh, uh, too much for one vendor to uh, control. And I'm talking about long-standing vendors in this industry with well-established uh, collection, collector agents, Datadog, uh, Dynatrace, AppDynamics, it's just too much for one vendor to hold. So this is, I guess, the, the thing that drove me um, to be passionate because I think this is the go-to path. And uh, to be honest, I think the signals are, uh, although it's a young project, are that it's set out to be a de facto standard because you really see all the um, uh, major vendors, all the cloud providers, everyone is aligning behind it. And very, very active. It's today the most active project in the CNCF behind Kubernetes itself. So uh, I'm really passionate about it and I advocate for it internally and externally. I, uh, I'm involved in uh, certain uh, working groups and uh, tags. Uh, it's uh, technical advisory groups uh, around it and, and many other. So yeah, I saw your talk uh, at KubeCon uh, and you have a follow-up blog post to this and you've also covered it on a, on one of episode of your your podcast as well um and in this all of this you've covered a lot of and i think this is probably the most useful part of 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 you've released recently this what is the current state of things um and it varies <laughs> quite a bit <laughs> and i have experimented it with a little bit as well with various vendors and it is a bit fraught the documentation i mean this is something i tend to look at quite a lot is a bit all over the place. Um, the depending which client you're using, you get things have changed quite a lot, and you have to really dig to realize that. <laughs> and then, so, if if I was to be starting a greenfield project at the moment, shall we say, do you think I should use Open Telemetry? Um, I think the answer is. Uh, I'm sorry to be that. Uh, it depends. Yeah, of course. It depends. It depends because it really depends on on what's your tech stack mm. uh, and what's what your SLOs are, what you're trying to achieve. So, uh, mm. as you mentioned, and I, I'm not sure that all the uh, listeners uh, know that, but Open Telemetry is not actually one monolithic uh, yep. project yep. and code base. It's in fact an aggregate, a conglomerate of, of many individual projects that comprise it. It's different components such as the APIs and SDKs and the specifications. And there are the, the open, uh, open telemetry collector and then there are multiple exporters in many yep. uh, protocols and multiple receivers in many protocols. So it's really uh, a conglomerate and, and not all stand in the same uh, in the same maturity level as you mentioned. For example, at KubeCon, you mentioned my talk at KubeCon. Uh, the big the big news that we brought uh, out at KubeCon Europe was uh, at May, May was uh, uh, that metrics signal has reached a release candidate. Yep. It was yep. a major major milestone. So, for example, you have uh, even in the very high level of, of the you know segmenting it by by uh, signals. This with the tracing has been out there in uh, general availability for over a year, and, and metrics has just reached a, a release candidate, and logs uh, are are farther behind. So, definitely, uh, my advice um, is to first understand your your stack. You need to understand which programming languages uh, you uh, use, especially many organizations today are polyglot, and you have different mm-hmm. languages in different pods. So, uh, understanding that, because as you mentioned, each programming language has its own uh, SDK, its own client library, and they're in different maturity levels. Uh, so we need to check for your own uh, for your own uh, libraries and maybe even frameworks that you use. So you use yep. 
Java with Spring, uh, for example, so, uh, maybe there is integration built in for Spring. So that, that's one aspect that needs to be uh, need to understand. Secondly, is uh, to understand which uh, signals you're going to collect. Uh, traces, metrics, logs, as I mentioned, yeah. not all of them yeah. in the same maturity level, and also from which sources, because it's not just your app. You want to monitor the, your you know, Kafka cluster, so you have a Kafka receiver. Yeah. You want to monitor your Redis, use Redis, Redis receiver. So this will help you sort of uh, understand which receivers you want to use um, uh, for these signals, and then obviously to which backend you want to send it. So if you have something standard, probably you have a, 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 an exporter for that protocol, but still make sure that you have the right receivers to support your uh, backend of choice. Uh, maybe the relevant processes, if you need to do all sorts of clever uh, aggregations and batching and filtering and other things on your telemetry. Uh, so understanding the stack, understanding what you want to achieve with your own system and your own observability needs, then start drilling into the uh, individual statuses, as I mentioned. And they are, it's, it's a bit uh, annoying. This is why I actually wrote a, a long-form guide, the beginner's mm-hmm. guide to open telemetry, that gives a much more simplified uh, uh, view, top-down view of open telemetry that helps break down uh, the stack and help you guide and, and has a, a links to sub-guides per programming language and, and per framework that can help uh, people maybe focus more easily across, obviously, then links to uh, to the opentelemetry.io, which is the main uh, site of, uh, of open telemetry, but it helps focusing. Uh, otherwise, people tend to get lost with all the, as you said, different different uh, documentations and different yeah. uh, statuses. And I think it would. I got also got lost because sometimes different vendors will sort of highlight it, but then their documentation is also out of date. Then <laughs> so you get kind of, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. And many of them, it's important to say for our, our, our listeners that many vendors actually today offer uh, uh, distros of Open Telemetry. Yes. So they yes, take yes, the yes, yes. the vanilla Open Telemetry and then package it, yep. add their own respective uh, uh, receivers, uh, exporters, uh, processors. Uh, we, for example, at Logs.io have that many other vendors do so you you need to also check that the distro yeah. that you get from your vendor is the latest and if not make sure that you don't read the vanilla one that is in a more advanced version than than the distro that you're using by your vendor so it's going to be an interesting uh next few years i think but <laughs> yeah, yeah. according to by the way gartner uh, on its last uh, hype cycle uh, just came out a few weeks ago actually started covering open telemetry putting oh, really? it uh, on the on the hype cycle in the uh, starting of the hype cycle, but uh, uh, expecting it to be according to Gartner in the uh, 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 achieving the the, the plateau uh, level of that in, within two to five years, which is by the way uh, very good. If if yeah. Gartner says that, then uh, I, I'm not optimistic in what and, I uh, used to say. Uh, and in also, ways. to be fair, a lot of people pay to be in Gartner reports, and if it's an open source project, they didn't. So you can actually uh, yeah. <laughs> you can actually trust it. That's <laughs> a good point. There. <laughs> so, all right, just to wrap up, I think we could have um, talked about a lot of different topics, but um, we're actually having this chat because you are attending Container Days. I attended last year. I was, I'm actually registered to attend this year, but I just, I have to go somewhere else and I, I can't fit it in. So we would have had a conversation <laughs> there, but what are you going to container days for in the fantastic, um, old, uh, port of Hamburg? It's actually a really cool venue. So <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. really excited to be, uh, flying over to Hamburg and, uh, I'm going to actually deliver two talks. One is mm-hmm. going to be a, a lightning talk, a short one about open telemetry. Uh, which is going to be interesting. So if you are passionate about this topic and uh, what we chatted about, and the second one, the full uh, full talk is going to be about uh, um, uh, cracking uh, uh, 
performance issues in your microservice architecture using distributed tracing. Okay. So if distributed tracing is something you'd like to explore, definitely uh, uh, join this one. And if I may also uh, mention the week after that, uh, I'm going to be at the Open Source Summit in uh, uh, EMEA in uh, Dublin. Going to be uh, talking about uh, open source and the dark side of open source, maybe some of the topics <laughs> we talked about uh, earlier on. Ooh. So um, uh, so uh, another uh, interesting upcoming uh, maybe talk. I should, uh, maybe I should see if I could register for that. That sounds... <laughs> That sounds interesting. I think I, I think I saw that coming out on the newsletters and completely forgot to look at it. Uh, <laughs> September is already kind of busy, so maybe I just ignored everything else. But that actually sounds very interesting. And this has been a topic that's come up a lot recently. And I have spoken. We've had various guests on the on the show talking about aspects of of this, but it's a big conversation in open source at the moment, and has been for some time. But especially at the moment, so that's actually a really interesting subject. I will try and find the talk, even if I don't see it in person. We <laughs> <laughs> can add it to the show notes on this uh, program. Yeah, for those yeah, who for sure, missing. for sure. And and just to clarify, in case anyone has been confused, um, it logs with a Z, so logs.io. Um, and you're very active on the website. On the front page, you can see your face very quickly and find what you've been working on. So, <laughs> so if anyone yeah. wants to find more of your work, it's there. And, yeah, and uh, I'm also uh, Horovitz, H-O-R-O-V-I-T-S, on basically everywhere. So Medium, yep. uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Quora, wherever. <laughs> it's just, it's plain and simple, my, my last name, my surname, and uh, you can uh, follow me. I'd be glad to uh, follow up on any, uh, any interesting topic that came up. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. That was my interview with Dotan of logs.io. I hope you found that interesting. I did. He's always a good speaker. Check out his podcast as well. And updates from me. Not too many right now. I am actually on the verge of finally, I, I don't know how much I've talked about it, switching to part-time work. So from next week. So I'm going to be producing and finishing a lot of my projects and where I have been a little quiet on some things because I've been busy kind of wrapping things up. There's going to be a lot coming out very, very soon. But in the meantime, just after this, I'll be releasing my coverage from IBC, which was a great experience. Actually, it was really good to get back to a big, big conference like that and meet people and get connections, advice. Uh, I worked with a, a film crew from officehours.global as well, and that was a great experience. But uh, head over to my YouTube channel to find that video and get more of that. Until next time, when I think I will have a lot more updates for you, thank you very much for joining me. Take care, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com, where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter, and find all of my writing, games, work, and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, Join my Discord server for behind-the-scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.